All right, I'm turning this evening to John chapter 17, John chapter 17, and we'll be looking tonight at verses 6 through 10, and our subject for tonight is, I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. Uh, Look with me, if you would, at verse number 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. We established last week the reality that Christ prays for those that are his. Now, from a strictly, from a theological theological standpoint, what the Lord Jesus does at the right hand of the Father at this very moment is not prayer, but it's intercession. We'll get, won't get too deep into that theological uh, forest tonight. But Christ here is praying for those who are his. It's very clear that Christ is praying for his people as believers, and he's praying for them and not for the world at large. But it needs to be said that nobody who desires, and even someone who might desire at this very moment to come to the Father, who is conscious and aware that he or she is unworthy to come to God in their own name or in their own terms or based on their own righteousness, should not be discouraged by Jesus' declaration that he says, I do not pray for the world. Uh, We know that the Bible also tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only willing, but he is able to say to the uttermost, everyone that comes to him by God. So this text and these passages should not be viewed as uh, these are passages that restrict uh, a person from coming who senses their need. Uh, The reality here is, is Jesus is speaking very specifically about those that the Father gave him, but it certainly does not discourage people from coming unto him. So in this great intercessory prayer, Jesus is specifically engaged in the petitions for his own people. Uh, As we were reading, you'll notice the Lord's use of the expression, especially in verses 6, 7, and 9. He says, thou hast given me or thou gavest me. There is this great emphasis on the giving. The giving is coming from the Father, and the Father is giving to the Son those who are referred to as they, them, or those, uh, which is an indication of a a specificity of who he's talking about. Uh, He is, this sense is, of course, that there is a prayer and an intercession for all mankind, but there is this special sense that's being referred to uh, specifically here in verses 9 through 10. Christ's thoughts, again, speaking in the manner of men, Christ's thoughts are as one whose mind is occupied with 
those who've been given. Uh, I say in the manner of men because sometimes we see Christ's thoughts and we think among them in human terms. Christ's thoughts, of course, as, as being deity, are, of course, different than we would think. Uh, even the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But we do understand that there is an occupation with those who are his. Uh, you'll notice again, it says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I try saying that very quickly three or four times. There is a lot packed into those verses. But notice verse 10, it is our Lord who says, or the Lord Jesus, and I am. These are the words of Christ. I am glorified. Or we might say, made glorious in them. The them is a reference to those who the Father gave him. So Jesus is making this connection between those that the Father gave him and his own glorification. Now, again, we took for our subject, verse 10, the expression, I am glorified in them. So that Jesus is very clearly saying here that by the realities of those who are his, those who, of course, have now owned Christ, received him, embraced him, and accepted him as their Savior. Christ is glorified in them. So verse 10 contains really two truths that are indisputable. It enforces the prayer that Jesus is saying here. He's praying on behalf of those the Father gave him. But what Jesus is even more distinctly saying is that the Father's ownership in those he gave, there's also ownership that Jesus has for those the Father gave. I hope we, hope we understand that. The ownership there, the Father owns them, but so does the Lord. But he clearly says the Father is the one who gave them to me. So we've got to establish that fact. That's why when we saw that last verse, when he says, all mine are thine and thine are mine, I'm glorified in them. We'll get to the essence of that here in a moment. So that's really that first distinctive truth we have to keep in mind. The ownership, not only of the Father, but the ownership of the Son. But we also see that Jesus is making reference to those the Father gave him and their love towards him. Uh, remember now, and we'll talk about this in a moment, uh, Jesus here now in verses 6 through 10 is praying specifically for the 11 disciples, or he's praying now for the disciples. Verses 1 through 6, he was praying for himself. But without controversy, the, the disciples were also those who the Father gave. Even though he's specifically in these verses primarily dealing with the disciples. Ownership. Now you'll notice verse 11. We won't cover this one tonight, but we'll kind of use it as a, a preface for next week. The Lord says, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Okay, the, these is the same that are the they, the those, and the them. They, those, them, and these. Right? These are all the Father gave. And I come to thee. In other words, Jesus is announcing, I'm going to leave these in the world. And I'm going to come to thee. Remember, we looked last week that Christ, of course, is God. And he's speaking now of looking into the future and what's going to happen. 
He's speaking of his approaching departure as though it had already happened. When we read John 14, Jesus was giving a lot of indication as to what was getting ready to take place. He was talking about, I go to prepare a place for you. And he was getting the disciples' eyes off of temporal kingdoms. And he wanted their eyes to be towards spiritual kingdoms. That going to prepare a place for you was not just so we could relish in the fact of a mansion. The, the concept was to get our eyes off the temporal nature of his kingdom. Remember, uh, even in our studies on Sunday morning, Matthew 16, we're seeing how the disciples don't quite understand how Jesus' kingdom is not a temporal, earthly kingdom. It is a spiritual, heavenly kingdom. So Jesus is preparing those the Father gave for his ultimate departure. So we have two important things even more to consider here. Number one, we've got to keep in mind that Jesus Christ is God, was God, and has been and will always be God. John 1.14 tells us He is God. The great desire of our Lord was to return to the glory of the Father's presence. That's Jesus Christ's delight uh, was to return back to the position in which He had. Secondly, we'll understand that Jesus returns to the right hand of the Father as the man Christ Jesus, the mediator, the intercessor of those who the Father gave. He redeemed them and now he intercedes for them. I think we see that concept here. So the intercession that Jesus now does it's not exactly prayer in the sense of what he's praying while he's here on earth, but he does intercede. And we'll deal with that in just a moment. So let's look at these verses a little more in depth. And again, let's look at verse number six. And we're going to take these uh, almost in a phrase-by-phrase -phrase basis. A couple of them we won't necessarily use the entire phrase. But notice verse six. Jesus says, I have manifested or I have revealed thy name. Jesus here is making reference to the fact, as he prays to the Father, I have revealed you, Father. I have revealed your perfections of your nature. I have revealed your redemptive will. I have revealed the gospel of mercy and grace. I've revealed your wisdom. I've revealed your power. And I've revealed your glory. Christ, of course, manifested his name to those whom the Father gave him out of the world. Jesus, again, specifically talking about the disciples, he says, Father, I have manifested or revealed to these that you've given me who you are. I've revealed your name. Now, again, of course, he manifested his name to those whom the Father gave. They were chosen by the Father and given to the Son. And, of course, Jesus Christ was appointed as the surety or the mediator, who, he who would be the Redeemer. Now again, we don't want to get ourselves in such a theological corner that we miss the reality here. Jesus, of course, in these verses is thinking primarily about the disciples, but these truths also hold true for all of the elect, all that the Father has given. Because when we get to verse 20, we're going to see that Jesus also reveals that all who believe on his name are those who the Father has given. So in other words, these truths that he's saying here about these disciples being given to him, it's also true about those who will believe who are not the disciples. Um, I shouldn't say obviously, but you and I tonight are not, uh, any one of us, one of the 11 disciples. Right? You're not one of them. 
Uh, but he specifically here is praying about what is going to what they are going to face. These particular specific disciples that were given to him by the Father. They have been walking with him. They have been with him. Now, in John chapter number 1, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, it gives us an indication that those who received him are those who the Father gave. There's a connection between those who receive Christ are those who the Father gave. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 10 he was in the world, as regard to Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So he says there are those he came unto who did not receive him. But as many as received him, tells us that there were some that received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see that these disciples, and I keep mentioning 11, who had received Christ and his word. Judas Iscariot is not named or numbered among them because he did not receive Jesus Christ. Okay, so just being one of the 12 did not mean that he was one that the Father had given. So it would not be wrong to say that Jesus Christ was not praying for Judas Iscariot. He was praying for those whom the Father had given. Now, as Jesus goes on in this prayer, again, he is praying very simple in simple words, but doctrinally, theologically, very deep words. So he says, I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Now, those he speaks about being given out of the world, of course, is the disciples, but this was not just by a, uh, a human choice. Uh, he's referring here to everlasting election. Uh, not only, not just simple choice, but according to the pleasure of God. This is the very ground of our salvation, is that those that the Father has given to the Son, that is according to the good pleasure of God. These disciples were no different. These 11 were given to the Father, given by the Father to the Son. So we see that Jesus is speaking very clearly about these truths. He says, they, they, thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Again, thou gavest them me, an act of eternal election, an act of God that goes all the way back to the covenant of grace. So Jesus here is very specifically, again, speaking to the Father dealing primarily with the disciples. Now notice verse 7. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Now, God, Jesus here is very specifically emphasizing, and I think if this, just the language here, even the English language here, is very strong. That Jesus is saying that I spoke the words of, Father, that you gave to me, I spoke your words to them. That's a very strong emphasis. In other words, he says, I've said and I've told them all things that you gave me to tell them. The words he spoke were the Father's words. The works he did were the Father's works. 
How many times throughout the book of John does Jesus say, I have come to do the Father's will? And that's really key. He did not take it even upon himself. Again, this, this doctrinal force that we're, we're just standing on the outside of. Jesus Christ did not even take upon himself to be our great high priest. We know that Hebrews 5.5 5 says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. In other words, Jesus Christ didn't say, I'm choosing for myself to be the great high priest, the intercessor. He says, the Father said unto the Son, Thou art my Son, today have I begotten thee. When the Father raised Christ from the dead after his crucifixion and exalted him, he was giving assurance to all that would see that Jesus Christ is the ordained and appointed and prophesied Redeemer. Every power, everything that Jesus was doing, he was doing it in accordance with the Father's will. Now this is driving home even more strongly the oneness between Jesus Christ and the Father. Jesus' own words were, I and my Father are one. Okay? There is no driving and try to separate and say, these are my works, these are the Father's works, this is my will, this is his will. I and my Father are one. Yet Jesus says, I came to do the Father's will. So Jesus gives very certainty in these facts that he says, all these things I've given are of thee. Verse 8, for I have given unto them the words which thou hast given me. Christ gave to them the words of the Father. What are the words of the Father? The words of the Father are the Scriptures. It is the very doctrine of God. It's the word of truth. It's the testimony of God. When we talk about the word of God, we talk about the words of God, we can say today in our day and age that in our Bibles, we have the word of God. Not just some words, not just some things God said, but the actual word of God. So it's not even appropriate to say this book contains the Word of God. It's appropriate to say this is the Word of God. Now that may not sound different, but that's totally different. Because containing means there may be things that are not God's Word. But from Genesis to Revelation, it is the Word of God. All of it is God's Word. Now, of course, the disciples did not have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. But yet, Jesus says, I've given them those words. So, what does he say about when they gave them, when he gave them the words? They have received them and have known surely, watch this, that I came out from thee. They received the word, and by the reception of those words, they surely have known that I, Jesus, have come from you. That's a very remarkable statement. And they have believed that thou did send me. I gave them your words, and this was the result. They received them. They know that I came from you, 
and they've believed that you sent me. In other words, to believe these truths is to believe that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah and he is not an imposter. They believed me, in essence, is what Jesus is saying. Which leads us to verse 9. I pray for them. Now again, in the strict contextual, contextual basis here, he's been talking about the disciples. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now again, that starts to really come together when he says, all are mine that are thine. But here he says, they are thine. I pray for them. Our Lord prays to the Father as a man and as a mediator on earth. Again, as I mentioned to you, his intercession in heaven is not theologically called prayer, but it's called intercession. His prayer is always heard. He has never prayed once contrary to his Father's will. So Jesus' prayers never amiss. So anything he prayed for his disciples about, anything he prayed for those who would believe on him, he never prayed amiss. Of course, the book of James teaches us that we, we receive not because we ask not and we pray amiss. In our human nature, we don't know how to pray properly. Many times we pray with the wrong motive. We pray with the wrong intention. We pray amiss. Christ never pray amiss. So when he says, I pray for them, we are talking about a perfect prayer. We're talking about the, now a perfect interceding that's taking place. His prayers are always heard. They're never contrary to the will of God. They're also never contrary to the glory of the Father. So he prays here for his apostles, disciples, and later we see for all who believe on him. This demonstrates Christ's love for those the Father gave him. I pray not for the world. The reference here is the world and pray not for them. This is the world of unbelievers. Those who ultimately are living will live in sin and will die in sin. If he, he didn't pray for those who would never believe. But yet here he's praying for them. He prays for those in whom he died for. He makes intercession now. He prays for those the Father had given him based upon the promises in the covenant of grace. What does that promise guarantee? Those the Father gave him will not only be saved, but they will be kept and one day received up into eternal glory. John 6, we are deeply familiar with. Uh, John 6, 37, again, we turn to this passage often. You probably can recite it. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. But again, that's the verse we often, our attention gets driven to. But he goes on and he says something more. He says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. Someone, someone has once said, What is the Father's will regarding the salvation of man? Well, here it is. This is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me. That means all of those individuals that the Father has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him 
may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. As a result, everybody who heard him say that was converted and got saved, right? No. The exact opposite happened. The Jews murmured at him. What did they murmur at? Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. Again, Jesus very, very distinctly puts it out there. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Seen and heard, received and believed. He says the disciples, they've done all of those things. But just seeing Jesus, just hearing him, does not mean that they were converted. But those that are, in fact, those he gave, he will save, he will keep, and he will receive them up into eternal glory. Now we get into this back and forth between Jesus using the words thine and mine. Uh, John 17, 9, notice he says, uh, which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Verse 10, and all mine are thine. Okay? They're not just yours, Father, by creation, but they are yours by eternal election and grace. But Jesus says, all that are all mine are thine and thine are mine. This is only, the only way you can understand this, the only way this makes any sense is to understand what Jesus was saying when he says, I and my Father are one. One in essence, one in ownership, and one in purpose. Other words, that phrase, all are thine and thine are mine, makes absolutely no sense. What Jesus is referring to is this oneness in essence, ownership and purpose, right? One God, three persons. Not modalism where he's changing form, one God in three persons. It's important to distinguish between that. But he, yet he says that we are one in the very essence of, as God, ownership, all are thine, thine are mine, all that you've given me, Jesus says, they are yours, but they're mine. Uh, John 5, verse 17 through 24. This is one of the first mentions of this. Uh, John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now, that's, a, that's an expression of unity. Uh, in other words, what Jesus is saying, whatever the Father is working, that's also what I'm working. Um, this, this, <laughs> that is a declaration of equality with God. That phrase alone, the murmuring Jew would have said about Jesus, he's a blasphemer because what he just said, he's equating himself with God. But that's what Jesus is saying. He says that my father works and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, 
but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, breaking the Sabbath was a bad thing to the Jews. But what really got them was this Jesus equating himself and being one with the Father. That's the thing they really used to say, this man deserves to die. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now what he says there is Jesus Christ cannot choose to go out and do whatever he wants. In other words, he can't know the Father's will and say, I know what the Father's will is and I'm going to do something different. Everything he does is in accordance with the Father. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We, we can't possibly understand John 17 unless we understand what Jesus was saying about himself. One in purpose, one in essence, one in ownership. John 10, 27, again, familiar passages. My sheep, there's ownership. The sheep is a reference all the Father gave, but Jesus calls them mine. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, who is the them, the sheep. My Father gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them, who the sheep, out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The Jews Normal response was, verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. The Jews hated the very prayer that Jesus is praying in John 17. Every time Jesus said, I and my Father are one, they wanted to kill him. So yet when Jesus is praying this intercessory prayer, he's using the very terminology that the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, hated. Yet he says, those that you gave me, they won't hate those words. They'll receive those words because they're mine and mine are thine. My sheep, the sheep you gave me, hear my voice. They not only belong to you, ownership, they belong to me. They are a result of one purpose, the redemption of those the Father gave from the same one God. So then that brings us to this expression that he says there in verse, at the end of verse 10. All and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. Our Lord here now says, I am glorified or we might say I am made glorious in their redemption. 
In other words, the redemption of those that the Father has given him, he is made glorious in that. He's glorified in them by not only their redemption, but by them who worship him, who love him, who attribute the entirety of their salvation to him. Jesus says, I'm glorified in them. Not just for now, but for all of eternity. We won't turn there tonight, but in Paul, in, uh, Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter number 1, and he talks about the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And all three of the Godhead are mentioned in the redemption of the elect or those the Father gave. After each one of those divisions, the phrase, to the praise of His glory, is mentioned. So every one of those who are redeemed is to the praise of his glory. So when Jesus says, I am glorified in them, he's speaking of his own glorification by those the Father gave and their redemption. Those the Father chose, the them, the Son redeemed and the Holy Spirit, of course, does the regenerating but we might say, all my God, the Father says, all my people are thy people and thy people are my people. So when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, all are mine and all are thine. I am glorified in them, he says. So very powerful in this. Every single person who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ belongs to God. The foundation of the very plea, the foundation of the Lord's entire prayer in John 17 is grounded on that phrase, all mine are thine and thine are mine. That speaks of the oneness of the Father and the Son. The Son owns none for Himself that the Father Himself also does not own. Now that may sound a bit profound, but there are not those the Father owns and those the Son owns. All are mine and all thine are mine. Back and forth, you can see it. Jesus referring to all that the Father gave, all those who are the disciples, all that he has given him, not only are all those mine, but all things. Even the Father has said that he will put everything under Jesus Christ and they will make the enemies his footstool. Folks, the reality of Christ and his Father having all things in common is really a deep truth we really need to get settled. And we need to settle it deep in our mind because that is the very hinge of which everything we believe, it's, it rides upon that hinge. If the Father and the Son are not one in purpose and one in essence and one in ownership, we would not be able to find and come to these conclusions that Jesus is so beautifully praying for. They have all things in common. It's an amazing thought to me that neither one of them have anything that is not the others as well. Our idea of ownership doesn't work that way. We as own personal things. I own certain things. You own certain things. The Father and the Son, neither one of them own anything that the other one doesn't own. There's no difference. There's no distinction between them. 
they all agree. They have the same essence, the same will, same attributes, the same sheep, if you will. Now next week, we'll get into verse 11. And Jesus is going to now more specifically start talking about not being in the world anymore. Again, another wondrous portion of Scripture when he's speaking in future tense. Because he doesn't say, I'm about to leave the world. He actually says, I am now, I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. So he speaks as if something's already taken place. And these, he's still referring to the disciples. He said, they're still here. And then he gives a specific prayer about what he desires for them in the world. And it's interesting to me that he, he doesn't say, kind of a preview for next week in verse 15, he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Remember, Jesus doesn't pray amiss. He doesn't pray, take them out of the world. No, in other words, he says, pray that they should be kept from the evil. So again, I hope we'll understand what, what the Lord's words here, the Spirit will give us great understanding as to what's happening here. But I am glorified in them. And that's what Jesus in this prayer is mentioning. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. And Lord, the, the richness of this text and these verses, Lord, it is astounding when we stop and think and ponder long enough to consider the words that are being spoken. Father, we rejoice in this great truth. And Father, I pray that we would find great comfort in the truth of all mine are thine and that Christ himself is glorified in the redemption of those that the Father has given him. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand tonight and to leave here rejoicing in that truth. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I ask these things. Amen.